When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey, welcome to another edition of Showtime with Coop. Insightful BS with Lakers legends and teammates. But our, our BS session is going to start with George Sedano. George, how are you doing today, sir? Coop, I'm excellent. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to be on the show with you guys. So we really want to thank you for being on with us. I know this is uh, some fun times for me. Are you a Laker or a Clipper fan? Oh, I am more I, – I mean, technically, as an NBA sideline reporter, I have to be uh, completely bi- unbiased and objective. But let's just say that if I had to lean one way, I would lean towards the purple and gold. Okay, so now let me take it one step further. Are you a Miami Heat fan or a Laker fan? <laughs> I grew up a Miami Heat fan. I have a long-standing relationship with your former head coach, Pat Riley. So when it comes down to those two, even though I did pick the Lakers to win on ESPN.com, my heart is always going to be with your former coach and his, his team. Okay, George. So I, I'm going to handle you with kick gloves for a minute. Until we get into the thick of this thing. But, no, again, you thank you, you so have... much. Coop, listen, I can call it like I see him, man. It's what I do for a living. There's no there's no kid gloves necessary. Okay. All right. Well, again, like we said, thank you very much for being with us. Listen, uh, tell us how you got started in, in announcing. Was that your first love? Or, I mean, what, what was it that brought you to yeah. that? So I got into sports talk radio as a young man, 22 years old, right out of college, and uh, and really never looked back. And was very fortunate to connect with um, the flagship station, the Miami Heat. I grew up in Miami, and I was doing their pre- and post-game and halftime on radio when Shaq arrived. You know, um, 2004 is when I started doing that, uh, while still doing, you know, talk radio as well, you know, just beyond that. In Miami. Then eventually I got on their TV broadcasts and was there during the LeBron years, uh, obviously throughout Dwayne Wade's entire career. Uh, and then went to ESPN and started covering the NBA and doing sports talk radio then and, uh, ended up in LA, in LA four years ago after a stint in Connecticut. So it's been, uh, it's been a fun ride. Uh, my wife is happy to be in LA because she's an LA native. She grew up in the San Fernando Valley. So, uh, it's been a, a long journey to get back home for her and we're happy to be here. Oh, that's we're glad to have you. Uh, one, Aria, let me ask you one last question. Uh, being in Miami, did you ever uh, go to any Miami Soul games? Because that close in the WNBA, we came down there and actually played. And, you know, talk to us a little I, bit about that. I did. I did. Ruth Riley was the uh, big star player. At that oh, love time. Ruth. Love yeah, Ruth. She's actually on the uh, Heat's uh, television and uh, radio broadcast now. Um, that's what she's doing these days. But, yeah, I do remember it. I do remember it. it was To me, it was sad because, I look, I love basketball, just like you and, and Ari and, 
And, you know, the more basketball, the better for me. So when they left to Connecticut, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't great. Like I wasn't a, you know, I wasn't a fan of that. Uh, but I understood, you know, from an economic standpoint, what they had to do. Well, you took a little bit of ass whooping when we came down there at the Sparks because we kind of beat up yeah. on y'all. That was an enjoyable trip for us because it was the sun and fun and, and, uh, this before the COVID hit, there was the nightclubs and, yeah. oh, I just, we had a wonderful time, but it was yeah. always fun There's playing fun down there. Even as a player in the NBA <laughs> playing in Miami. Well, <laughs> what, I would, what I would say to this, Ari, to that, Ari, is, and Coop didn't get a chance to really enjoy South Beach, because South Beach didn't even exist back then. Like, South Beach wasn't until a 90s thing. Um, you know, so Coop never got to get the real South Beach feel. So when he came back as a coach of the Sparks, he got a chance to really enjoy what South Beach uh, was all about. But no fountain point, blue during the uh, Showtime era. Yeah, there was well, there was fountain blue was there, but yeah. it wasn't what it is now. <laughs> is what I'm saying. It, hey, listen. It was, go, uh, go ahead, go ahead, George. No, yeah, yeah. It was a, it was it was definitely a vibe and a scene, but it wasn't what it is now. And to your point, Ari, I, I think look, LA nightlife, much like Miami nightlife, is undefeated. Uh, the only difference is the bars don't shut down at one thirty or two o'clock <laughs> in the morning in Miami. And you know what? And our, our <laughs> Our ladies took full advantage of that. So I know what you're talking about, George. Yes, I, I had a little taste of it, but I couldn't get too involved because it was that different scene. As a head coach, you got to look at things. Yeah, different. yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, I mean, talking to you mentioned Pat Riley, and obviously, it's it's remarkable um, what he's been able to do now in this, you know, second career for him. And and Coop and I have obviously talked a lot about that and the influence that Jerry West had on him, you know, as an executive. But as somebody that, you know, that grew up in Miami that covered the heat for as long as you did, you know, give us the perspective on how impossible is what Pat Riley is doing? Because I mean, you look at how many organizations are like in this continual perpetual rebuild. The Bulls, I grew up in Chicago. That's a team that's been rebuilding for 30 years, um, or 20 years. But, but I mean, George, it's, it's incredible how they, they, you know, you lose the big three, LeBron leaves. And I mean, for a lot of other organizations, it would take them a long time to get back to where the Miami Heat are currently. I mean, look, Pat Riley, what he's done, and, you know, Coop can attest to this, is he's incredible. You could honestly just take – you could separate Pat Riley, the coach, and Pat Riley, the executive, and both would be Hall of Famers individually. It, it, It really is incredible what he's been able to do. And what he's always done, regardless of where he's been, is that he's always amassed a really good staff around him, people that are excellent at what they do, whether that's from a coaching perspective or whether that's from a front office perspective. And ever since he got to Miami, like his whole goal was, okay, um, you know, what he's done in his time in Miami is that he very much wanted to create something from scratch, right? And that's what he got. Like he got to a franchise that had only been seven or eight years old when he got there. And he's like, I want to forge my legacy. I want to build what Jerry West and, you know, Dr. Buss and those guys did with the Lakers. And they got a long way to go, obviously. But to your point, they've been able to, you know, constantly, you know, adapt and constantly add talent. And, yeah, there are a few lean years here and there. But for the most part, if you look at his 25 years, they've been unbelievably competitive with multiple iterations of teams that have either gone deep into the playoffs, won championships, or have been on the precipice of winning championships. Hey, welcome back, Coop. 
Hey, Coop. I was just talking about hey, your, your you know, it, coach. It's really hot out here in L.A. It's like burning hot. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and we had a fire, so something something might have fizzled out on my uh, router or something. But, hey, I'm glad to be back. And uh, I didn't hear all that you said, but I agree with you, George. Pat Riley is an exceptional person. I think, again, his background brings it back to, to fruition as far as coming from Kentucky and uh, under Coach Rupp. Um, doing the things that he did, had a great, great time with Pat, with Jerry West, him, those two putting the Lakers together, Showtime era, and then leaving Los Angeles and moving to Miami and doing the things he did there. The only difference with him now is that his hair is not jet black, slick black. It's all yeah. white. And yeah. He still looks pretty good. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, again, he has done a great job. And I, I hate to say this, but he's going to have to do another better job because I think this team is limping, is a – uh, they're gonna get their ass kicked tonight. And, uh, it's unfortunate because they played so well. You know, at the beginning of this season, you would ask, would you pick the Miami Heat to be in the NBA Finals? And right. I guarantee you probably out of 10 people, eight of them might have said no. Would be so for yeah. what yep. done to get to this position. And I think the bubble has actually helped them. Uh, Coach Riley and Coach Spolstra, they really, I mean, you know, when you get here, you want to win it, but you can't really help hold your head down because now they have two major injuries to two players. That's going to make it very difficult for them to compete with the Lakers. Yeah, and look, I had picked the Lakers before the series, but to your earlier point, um, you know, I had Miami in the preseason as a team that was probably like a second-round team. But I think the additions at the at the trade deadline, at least that's where it changed for me as far as their expectations. When they added Andre Iguodala, when they added Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill, I'm like, oh, wait a second. Pat thinks he's got something here. And maybe some, maybe other people don't see it, but he sees something that could at least give him the chance to get through the East. And Coop, they always felt, and Ari, they always felt they had a pretty good matchup against Milwaukee because they felt that Giannis's shortcomings, they could exploit them. That Coach Folstra specifically could devise a game plan to exploit them. And we saw that. And that was certainly the case once they added those guys to the rotation because they had more guys that they could throw at Giannis, who again is still growing as far as his game is concerned. But, you know, your point, Coop, about the bubble, is is definitely one that I've made a point to make constantly because you know this because you played for the man. And Eric Spolstra, you know, that you know, Pat is his mentor and Eric is his own man now. Eric is not, you know, he's not doing the stuff that Pat was doing. He's got a different way of coaching. He's got a different way of uh you know motivating his guys. It's not, you know, he's not trying to be Pat Riley. He's being authentic to himself and that's what good coaches do. Um but the one thing they have in common is the winning at all costs and the bunker mentality. And you of all people know that. You, Pat Riley, you are with him or you are against him. And that's why the bubble I thought was going to be beneficial for them, particularly getting through the East. Look, they're not as talented as the Lakers. That's the reality of it. You know, we, this sport has generally been predicated on who has the best talent, like top tier talent. And if we're, if we're doing a playground game and we're picking sides and we're picking teams, the first two guys going in the playground game are Anthony Davis and LeBron in no particular order. And then, you know, Jimmy Butler and Bam are probably next, right? But but the, the top two guys on the floor always matter in these situations. Are there outliers, the Detroit Pistons in 2004, you know, the Dallas Mavericks in 2011? Sure, there's some moments like that. But 90-plus percent of these series are decided by 
the top teams with the top talent. And you know what, George? I think what uh, Miami has fallen uh, uh, under the spell of that small ball, and I think if you keep that in the perspective, that's why they are in the position they're in today playing for a championship. But I think the Lakers have really broke that mold now that people mm-hmm. have been trying to get to for the last two or three years. I think from now on, teams are going to have to have two legitimate bigs on your team to compete because if you don't, I think with the Lakers going in and they can keep that core group of Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis, JaVale McGee, and LeBron, that's big, man. And I don't think any team can mess with them. And I think that's why their size is really, it really showed out on the Nuggets. It, it put a hurt on them big time. And I think it's definitely going to wear down Miami, especially if uh, uh, Bam is not able to play. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Look, Bam is so important to what they do, Coop. I mean, both on offense and defense. Like, he's not the shot blocker that AD is, but much like AD, he can guard five positions, right? And there's just not that many guys in this sport that can guard five positions. Plus, on offense, he's very important to what they do on their dribble handoff game. You know, they're diving to the basket on pick and rolls. He's deadly there. And, and, And honestly, he's actually, you know, in this last few months, particularly in the bubble, all of a sudden, he's knocking down that mid-range shot, right? Like, so he's unbelievably important to what they do. So if he's not, if he's not 100% or God forbid he can't go, then they're in real big trouble. But I will say this. Um, I think that the one thing I saw in game one that they could clean up and make it slightly more competitive, um, is the way they play defense. And because they play small, there was a lot of switching. Now you can switch. Switching is not a, a new concept. But I think that when you switch, you have to hedge hard when you switch. And it felt like they weren't treating it that way for whatever reason. So, again, because you know the man at the top and because you know that the coach is a man that he molded, I feel like defensively, even though they may get their butts kicked, they're going to play a lot harder on defense and they're going to be more physical, I think, on defense than they were in the previous game to at least show some fight and some competitiveness and I wouldn't be surprised, to your point about Biggs, if you see Myers Leonard and Kelly Olynyk play more, both guys who can stretch the floor as big men and who are pretty solid rebounders and are, are, are okay, okay banging down low with the likes of JaVale and Dwight. Um, so I think that you could potentially see that. And, and I just want to see a competitive game. No one wants to see injuries. Nobody wants to see uh, blowouts. I think as fans of basketball, we want to see – competitive games night in and night out. I agree with you. And I think another big uh, uh, issue that Miami didn't have the first game, again, I'm, I'm obviously pro Lakers, so, but I'm like you, George. I want to see a good game. I think you'll see better play out of Duncan Robinson. Yeah. I think, uh, I think Hero's going to be playing a lot better, and I expect those two. Yeah. But I think with bringing those big, big guys in, it not necessarily has to be an offensive thing. It has to definitely be a defense because you can't win ring uh, championship. But Pat Riley always used to say, no rebounds, no rings. And when you get out yeah. rebounded by 20, 54, yeah. 34, it's going to be hard for you to stay in some games. You also yeah, have, for sure. You also Go have a situation, ahead, too, you know, where – and Coop and I talked about this last last week's episode, but like so much of the playoffs about dictating the terms, playing your style and forcing yeah. the opposition to adjust to you. Um, and, and Coop, you know, brought up that the, the Lakers have been sort of chameleons throughout the playoffs. They've been, a, uh, they've been able to play the, the opposition style. But in that, in that way, you know, the idea of bringing, you know, 
Olenek and, and Leonard off the bench more, it's like, well, you're just now you're bending to the whims of what the Lakers want you to do, which is play their style. Sort of, but what I would say is the difference with those two guys, opposed to like Dwight and JaVale, is, and those would be the guys that they would be matched up against in theory if Bam plays, is that those guys can shoot threes and shoot them well, right? So you're making Dwight and JaVale have to guard them out on the perimeter, and I think that that, that, to Coop's point, no rebounds, no rings, if Dwight and JaVale have to guard them on the perimeter, it's harder for them to get those easy rebounds. So, I think that's probably the most basic adjustment that I think we'll see from Miami in tonight's game. Um, and I think that they won't switch as easily. I could see them fighting through the screens more. That way LeBron's not hunting Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson down. Who look, and Coop, you've played in a lot of these final series. Sometimes when you're that young, like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero in your early 20s, sometimes the lights are, are too bright for you in that first game. And you're like, whoa, this is – this is a lot more than I expected. And, and I think that sometimes it takes a little while for young guys to settle into a series. But unfortunately, there's it's best for a seven. You don't have a lot of time to settle. Exactly. And that's why I said, you know what, the light is very bright. And I said, if they don't have a nice pair of Ray-Bans, they can go blind out there because it is really bright. But expect those two kids to play a lot better. I expect Jay Crowder to do a better job. Uh, let me ask you this, George. Do you think, and, and check me if I'm wrong, I don't recall Miami playing a zone on the Lakers the first game. They I, only played it for four possessions. They okay. did not give you, the zone a shot. You expect to see more of that? I do because I think it, it forces that the Lakers outside shooting, which was unbelievably hot, a franchise record, 11 threes in the first half, but went cold in the second half. I think that if the Lakers have any minor weakness – it's that their three-point shooting has been erratic throughout the season, right? Whether it's the playoffs or the regular season. Uh, they ranked 23rd in the regular season, and they were just slightly below average during the bubble play, uh, you know, including the regular season and the postseason. So, and I, I think that in theory, that's what Spolster's game plan was, was, okay, we're going to try to pack the paint, and we're going to try to let those guys try to beat us on the outside. And in essence, that's a smart idea, but I think that there were just little details that they didn't execute properly, particularly the switching and some of the stuff that we talked about. But, Ari, I think you mentioned it best where the Lakers' versatility on defense is incredible. Um, look, I know that the 1951-52 George Mikan Lakers historically, uh, by the numbers, have the best defense that the Lakers franchise has ever had. But, man, this one from a flexibility standpoint about being able to play big and play small because the game obviously has changed so much, is right up there with some of the great Laker defenses that I've ever seen. I think people underestimate the Lakers, but again, they forgot before the COVID hit and we went into this, uh, this, uh, seclusion, the Lakers were what the third, well, number one defensive team in the league and they were the number one shot blocking team in the league. And I think they were two or three as far as all around defense deflections, yes. uh, being physical in the paint. Yeah. They, they've been incredible. They have been an incredible defensive team. And look, there were a lot of questions about that in the preseason. I was there for media day in El Segundo, and I was like, I heard Frank talk about, Frank Vogel talk about, you know, defensive disposition. And I, look, I covered Frank, for, you know, when he was in Indiana, and, you know, I saw his team go up against LeBron, Wade, and Bosch three years in a row, once in the semifinals and twice in the conference finals. So I knew what he was about, and I thought the hire was good, and I knew that defense was always going to be the backbone of his teams. But, look, we hadn't seen LeBron play that kind of defense really since his Miami days. He didn't play that hard 
defensively in the regular season, specifically in Cleveland the second time around. And when I saw him playing defense in November, I'm like, oh, okay. I haven't seen this in a while. This is a different King James that we're watching right now. And that's a testament to Vogel getting the buy-in from LeBron and also on Anthony Davis because he was very vocal about saying, you know, I'm going to be on LeBron, right? Like, and make sure that we hold each other accountable on both ends. Obviously, one of the major subplots. I don't think Anthony Davis could say too much to LeBron because he's trying to win. I think it's more LeBron telling him what to do. But uh, I, I think they both have elevated each other's games to a yeah. whole new level. And when you do that, your two key players hold everybody accountable. It makes them other players. And I was one of those followers with Magic, Kareem, and Worthy. It, it makes you fall in line, and it makes you do your job at another level too. Yep, for sure. And what, I mean, one of the big subplots, obviously, of this series is the, you know, LeBron's place in history. And, and it's, it's not like that's a, you know, uh, a topic that's been often discussed throughout his career. But, I mean, it, it's a legitimate discussion, and especially if, if he does win here, win this series. Obviously, it's Michael, but the one guy that we talk about a lot on this show would be the guy sitting uh, with the skyhook behind uh, Coop, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's very underrated in this discussion in terms of the greatest oh, yeah. of all time. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Chicago, so I'm, you know, I definitely, I grew up during the Jordan era in Chicago, so I'm, I'm biased in that regard, but I mean, it, it's, to me, more and more feels like Kareem is the best of all time, but just, just give me your perspective, George, on LeBron in that conversation right now. Um, I, I think Kareem is neck and neck with whoever you want to put there, right? right? I think right. you're splitting hairs with all these guys. Totally. But Kareem Abdul-Jabbar won in high school. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar won in college. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar won in Milwaukee. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar won with the Lakers. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar won in life, okay? Even when he was making airplane movies, okay? Uh, you know, Bruce, or movies. I mean, George, those are good movies, man. I enjoy Oh, yeah. And he, you know, he had to fight Bruce Lee in a movie. That's all you know, you need to know about, about the cap. Uh, but yeah, look. I, I just think that, you know, all these debates are so subjective, right? Like, it, it really is right. just what what's the flavor you want, you know what I mean? Like, it's like Baskin-Robbins, right? I don't know if there's Baskin-Robbins anymore, but when I was a kid, it was Baskin-Robbins, <laughs> and it was 31 flavors, right? And, and, you know, whatever flavor you like, that was what you liked. And I think that there are going to be people that think Jordan is the best. There are going to be people that think Kareem is the best. There are going to be people that think LeBron is the best. Uh, Kobe is the best, right? Magic is the best. And you know what? God bless them, because you can make a, a, a case for almost any of those guys, right? Um, and, and I think that, you know, if you're asking me, um, I, this is the way I would characterize it. I think LeBron is the most gifted player I've ever seen, okay? He is built like Carl Malone with athleticism that's off the charts like Michael Jordan and, and Kobe and them, um, with these passing ability of Magic Johnson, right? Uh, and just the defensive prowess of, uh, you know, the greatest defensive uh, perimeter players that we've seen, right? Like, you, you name it, he's in that conversation. George, so, hold, hold up. What you talking? Why are you having a question mark about that? You're sitting here talking to one of the greatest defensive players. You should have said Michael Cooper, George. <laughs> I was I was just I was teasing you because I wanted you to say it. So there you go. Michael I was about Cooper. to jump in too. You like me, yeah. like Michael Cooper exactly. or Michael Jordan? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Don't you know? Everyone like you know. I'm not trying to knock my guy Joe Dumars, who I love as well, who was a great perimeter defender. But Stop Michael it, Cooper. Stop it. Michael, Stop it, I see. I did that just to get under your skin a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it, like a Michael Cooper, obviously. So LeBron, like if we were building a basketball player, it would be LeBron, right? Like 
And, and but that doesn't mean that he's the most accomplished, like a Bill Russell, right? Or a Kareem or Magic or Jordan, right? So they got they may have better resumes. Kobe has more championships, right? Like there's so many like man, we are just splitting hairs, I mentioned earlier. But I would say that LeBron is the most gifted of them all because he can literally do everything. And you know what, George, for me, the fun part about basketball is watching uh, generations or decades come and you see the next great player. And I'm pretty sure in about another five, ten years, you're going to see mm-hmm. somebody better than LeBron. But let me ask you this. If you were starting a team today and you can pick any player and that player would be at his prime, say 22, 23 years old in the NBA, who would you pick to start your team? Ooh, that's a good way to phrase it. Oh, man. Um, the way of asking who's the greatest basketball player of all time. <laughs> look, man, I mean, right – so you're telling me a play, an active player who's young, right? No, no, or a past player. Oh, Anybody ever. You get player, them, you're you starting a franchise, you get them in their prime. He becomes that 23, 24-year-old. Okay, so I can pick any time. player in the history of the sport and grab him at his peak. Right. Um. I feel like it's probably – you know what? I'm going to go off the board from all the guys we mentioned. It's Shaq. Because Shaq was the most dominant player physically I've ever seen. And we forget how unbelievably athletic Shaq was in those Orlando and early Lakers years when they were three-peating. Shaq was the most unstoppable force I've ever seen. And – Nobody could guard him. You couldn't single him up. Um, because if you singled him up, and Ben Wallace tried that, right, uh, a number of different times, including once that was successful for the Pistons. But in, even in that success, Shaq still ate him up for like 35 and 20, right? It wasn't because of Shaq that the Pistons uh, won that series. So I'm going to go slightly off the board and say that if you're asking me to take someone at their peak, I'm going to take Shaq at their peak because I don't think anyone on earth could stop him. Okay, I'm going to pick Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And the reason for that is because you got to look at what Kareem did in college. He changed. He did. They outlawed the dunk for this guy. So, again, which brought to fruition his sky hook. The other reason that I picked him, and I like Shaq, too. Shaq's a big fan of mine, but you couldn't foul Kareem. Kareem was going to go to the free throw line and make his shots. And for me, that's what uh, – um that superstar player is is because you there's nothing you can do to stop him. All right. uh, I think even LeBron is limited a little bit at the free throw line. Uh, if you look at him, they'll get a look when the game is on the line. So I'm going to quote um, the big fella, Shaquille O'Neal, and say, I make them when they count. <laughs> <laughs> or barbecue chicken. <laughs> he does. He always does say that, Coop, right? He says he's at the free throw line. And it's true, late in NBA Finals games, I've seen it. I saw it in L.A. I saw it in Miami. When it was late in the game in the fourth quarter, he made them when they counted. <laughs> who would you pick? I mean, my default would be MJ, but I'll I'll go with a more likable Michael Jordan, which and it's Magic Johnson. Obviously, they have a different skill set, but Magic had so much of the ingredients that I think Michael had. Obviously, the passability was was off the charts. The size, and then he was just a like—I mean, likable, great leader. Probably a better leader than Michael because of Michael leading by uh, force, whereas Magic led in a different way. Obviously, Coop, you could speak to that, but he yeah. just seems no, way but, more likable. But, but, but Coop, 
I've talked to Byron and you and, and Michael Thompson in the past. Magic smiled a lot, but Magic would get up in you if he had to in that locker room. Oh, for sure. That was one of the things that we respected about him. But as he got on us, he he took constructive criticism well, too. You could get after him. Right. Too. So, yeah. It so was let, me, let, let me ask you this, Coop. I want to ask you a question because, uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, Byron and Michael and, and I, you know, I, I've been able to work with them for many years now here in L.A., and uh, I'm going to ask you the question, uh, because Michael denies this. Michael Thompson, father of Clay Thompson, right? Former number one overall pick in the NBA draft, Portland Trailblazers, and Los Angeles Lakers champion. He's a humble and man. By- Byron Scott, okay? The, the, the sniper on those Showtime Laker teams, okay? Byron told me that <laughs> that Michael said that he called himself Bahamas Ali. And that he could fight and beat any, anybody up in that room. And Byron said, well, I'm from Inglewood, California, and I'll smack you around. And that Byron smacked him in the face so many times that Michael just gave up and quit. Now Michael denies that. What do you say, Michael Cooper? How did that go down? Well, I was a referee when that was happening in the locker room. And, uh, you know, back then, Michael uh, professes himself as a boxing aficionado. He knew everything mm-hmm. about Thomas Hitman, Hearns, Ali, yeah. and all of that. So yeah. Byron, being from the hood, Inglewood, uh, and they got in and they were doing the infighting like that. And Byron tapped him on his chin and Michael fell to the ground. And <laughs> I counted three. <laughs> Before Michael opened his eyes. So he got knocked up out, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what Byron says. He knocked the bleep out of Michael. Michael denies it. And uh, I'm glad now I have extra confirmation on that. Thank but you. It's 201. Yeah. Hey, George, we're at the point of our show where I like to call Coop's Lightning Round. Okay. I'm give you five names and you just give us a little bit about that person, okay? Sounds good. First one, Ben Scully. The greatest broadcaster of all time. That's it. Yeah, there's yeah. no need to say anything else. I don't. I think agree, George. To totally, that's it. Yeah. Dwayne Wade, an icon in Miami, and one of the most selfless professional athletes I've ever covered, uh, both on and off the court. Unbelievably charitable, altruistic. Um, when my dad died, one of the first people I heard from was Dwayne Wade. And on the court, not a lot of guys would give up their team to another superstar to allow the team to flourish. And there haven't been that many opportunities in sports history where we've seen that, and that was one of the few. And I always will hold him in really high regard. He gave the keys to his city to someone else for a few years to allow the team to reach heights. Um, that they wanted to reach. And you know what? That sounds like a lot. Pat Riley had that kind of motivational technique to do that and still keep you the center point. Uh, Dick Emberg. Oh, man. When I think of Dick Emberg, I think of, again, an un- another unbelievable broadcaster. I think of some of the greatest tennis matches I saw growing up as a kid and always the best West Coast AFC matchup on NBC. It, whether it was the Raiders or the Chargers or whoever was playing the Seahawks, I, I, I remember that 4 o'clock Eastern game, 1 o'clock Pacific, on NBC on Sunday afternoon, whatever the big game of that Sunday was going to be, was Dick Enberg on the call. Pat Riley. 
the godfather. Um, the godfather of the NBA. He is woven into the fabric of American basketball from beating Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in high school uh, as a player. We heard a lot about that. <laughs> yeah, right? To being on a Kentucky team uh, that was great on its own but played in the most important college basketball game in NCAA history, playing against Texas Western, the first team to start five African-American players and Pat being on the other side of that and Pat being a consultant in the movie Glory Road uh, to tell that particular story with Jerry Bruckheimer. Uh, obviously, the Showtime Lakers and, and just really making basketball fun. I think, you know, remember basketball at that time, Coop? You remember the NBA Finals were on tape delay and Magic and Larry and, and Pat and all of those guys and you guys made basketball matter and made it relevant in a way that it didn't. And then just always being adaptable and changing to his surroundings, you know, going from Showtime and Armani and slicked hair to being this lunch pail team with the Knicks and then eventually with the Heat um, and winning basically everywhere. I mean, even the Knicks, he took them to the finals for the first time and the only time in their history since the early 70s. Um, and then with Miami, constantly evolving and changing, whether it's those Alonzo Morning, Tim Hardaway teams that ran into Michael Jordan in the conference finals to Shaq and Wade and drafting Dwayne Wade and LeBron and now this team and, and the future's bright with these young players that he's got with Bam and Hero and, and all these guys getting to the NBA finals years earlier than probably anyone would have anticipated. Um, and honestly, the other thing, Coop, for me personally, just a, a, it's just such an honorable man, right? Like someone that I've always felt like I could look up to, um, even as he kind of, he kept me in line as I covered him. Um, he always was available to talk to him um, about life. And I think that that is what distinguishes him from anyone else I've ever covered um, for so long. I've known him now almost 20 years and, you know, I cherish every moment as he gets older that I get a chance to speak with him. And it's usually 30, 40, 50 minutes at a time. But more and more as the years go by, I feel like I, I've learned to cherish him. And I know that wasn't a lightning round answer. It was long. But he deserves it because he's been around for four decades. And he deserves every accolade that comes his way. For sure. Uh, last one, the late, great Chick Hearn. Oh, man. Uh, gosh. I just feel like he is – Lakers basketball in a lot of ways. As much as Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Jerry West, he's also a, the definition of Laker basketball. You know what I mean? Like, um, I still to this day go on YouTube to watch his games and the way he called games and how innovative he was, even at such an early era of broadcast. So an innovator, no question, and a legend. Uh, last thing for me, George, uh, there was a, I don't know if you heard about, I'm pretty sure you heard about it, about the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, <laughs> did you hear that comment that KD and, and Kyrie Irving said that they don't really need a head coach? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I wonder if Steve Nash was included in those conversations. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But look, while I do think, Coop, that Coaches and players, particularly star players, there's a collaboration. There's no question. Pat Riley and Magic Johnson and Kareem, right? Like, we all know that relationship. Patrick Ewing and Pat Riley, uh, you know, LeBron and Vogel and AD now, right? Spolster, Wade, Bosch, LeBron, right? Like, we, we know all this. But at the end of the day, there needs to be someone to put the structure in, to put the system in, and to make the hard decisions that sometimes players don't want to hear. 
And I think that that is still an unbelievably important aspect to this, and it can't be dismissed. The way that, even though they did talk about collaboration, it felt like they are are making it seem like the organizational aspect of this is not um, an important factor or an important enough factor. And, and, and I agree with that. That's what I thought. I think when you get players that are talking a little bit too much about that, because your job is to worry about what goes on the floor, mm-hmm. and a coach's job is to construct what happens on the floor, um, that's uh, – I don't know. It's and, never really you know worked what? for Kyrie with a coach. So, I mean <laughs> – <laughs> yeah. It's never, Kyrie, worked, yeah, it's never really worked to Kyrie coach. with a coach, so maybe maybe he doesn't need a coach. <laughs> but Kyrie don't want to be coach. That's why right. he don't want a coach right. out there. Hey, George, listen, thank you so much for being on the show. And as I always tell my guests, Coop is going to be coming back to your hoop again in the near future, man. Thank you so much, George. A pleasure to hear from you. Hopefully you stay safe and uh Lakers going to get their 17th championship. They are. I believe they are as well. Coop, absolutely my pleasure. I will absolutely be willing to hoop with Coop again here on this podcast whenever you guys want me. Ari, you are the best as well, buddy. Thank you guys so much again. Appreciate it, George. Thank Thank you, George. Take care. Have a good one. Stay safe. You too, bud. Be well.